This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. My God, Dukes are going to corner the entire frozen orange juice market. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today is Western Monarchy Day. And, you know, with all the news of problems in a certain palace in London, I think it's time, people, for Doug to stake his claim here in the basement. You know, and as they say, spring is coming. Am I right? They say that, right? They do. While I plot my rise toward the throne, please join me in welcoming one couple downsizing their life, kind of like Harry and Meghan. We welcome JT and Tamson. How hard is it to downsize your palace, or house in this case, when you find out you won't have enough to make it? We're about to find out. Plus, it's open enrollment for some Medicare age stackers. We'll talk to Danielle Kunkel Roberts from Boomer Benefits about what you need to know. And don't worry, we'll still toss the Haven Lifeline to Dylan and you'll get a great slice of monarchy themed trivia. And now, two guys who are going to be great royal subjects for me. More biscuits, boys! Here come Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G! Oh, I think this is going to be a ride. This is going to be just a fun day in the basement with that clown. I was going to say, he's the court jester. Uh, well, apparently he doesn't know it. Hey, everybody, welcome to Drama in the Basement podcast. I am Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And uh, happy Wednesday, OG. What? It's up. Hump day. It is it's already the middle of February. It's not the middle of February, but it's first week of February. Yes. Well, we're five days in, but it feels like yesterday. All our troubles seem so far away. <laughs> I think that was the theme of the last show, wasn't it? Or uh, recent, <laughs> I, they all they all blend together. You know what doesn't blend together? Analysis from the Motley Fool. Big thanks to the Motley Fool for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Motley Fool Stock Advisor provides two stock recommendations every month, each and every month. To kickstart your 2020 financial goals, Motley Fool's offering five, not one, two, three, four, but five of their favorite stock picks for free at fool.com forward slash SB. Can you tell them caffeinated today? Also, big thanks to Free Tax USA for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Man, it's that time of year, OG. For 10% off, go to freetaxusa.com forward slash SB and use code SB. We got a great show not only do we have a couple, this is really interesting. They decided to pursue financial independence at the ripe old age, OG, ready for this, of 29. Nice. 
but, I've been pursuing it since I was 11. But, <laughs> but, they, go yet. but they got in, they got into it and realized that it wasn't going to go the way that they wanted. So they made a big, huge change. They decided to downsize their life and, um, we're going to have them tell the story. Love this story. Being flexible. Love it. But we've got some headlines first, so let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from the CNBC Make It blog. By the way, guess who wrote their first piece on the CNBC Acorns blog? This guy. I'm not sure. This who? guy right here. How Me? about that? That guy. This one. Stop looking to the left and to the right. Doug's busy parading around like he's the king of the basement. Emperor has no clothes. (laughs) The emperor truly has no clothes, but he doesn't know it. But uh, no, me. How about that? I got a piece published on CNBC. You're welcome, America. You're welcome, world. Mr. Important. Just taking this little podcast global. It's, It's incredible. Finally, in my piece, I talked about three people who were just like, you and I, just everyday people that did some pretty extraordinary things. In this piece, we're going to talk about, because Kathleen Elkins wrote this, here's how much Americans have saved for retirement at different ages. You know how everybody all the time wants to compare themselves with everybody else and say, hey, how we'll am I doing? finally do it. Let's how- just get it over with. I know your financial planning career, much, much, much longer, OG, than mine was. But over 16 years, if I had a nickel... For every person who asked me how they were doing versus everybody else, I'd be a very, very, very rich man. I wish I had like a cool, snarky way to answer that. Because like, you know, it's, well, it doesn't matter, you know, it really matters on your goal. But I, I kind of wonder if I just say like, terrible, actually, you should save more. <laughs> yeah, you know, just, just deadpan it and see <laughs> if that results in people getting better outcomes in their life. Like, well, compared to people that are 12 years younger than you, you are guys are in really great shape. These are great. So yeah. you're 27. You only have 4.6 million. Ooh. Ooh. My son is doing pretty well. He's 13. Right. But <laughs> Kathleen writes, most Americans want to retire by 67, a 2020 TD Ameritrade report finds, but are they on track? The report, which surveyed 2,000 U.S. adults age 40 to 79 with at least 25,000 investable assets, finds, drumroll, many Americans may have a ways to go. Wow, that's a shock. I should have said spoiler before that. <laughs> Even those approaching their golden years, nearly two-thirds of 40-somethings have less than 100,000 in retirement savings, and 28% of those in their 60s have less than 50,000. While this report didn't survey younger Americans, a 2019 TD Ameritrade survey found that 66% of millennials don't feel on track when it comes to saving for retirement, mostly due to the burden of housing costs. I thought it was student loans, but uh, could be, I guess it doesn't have to be either or, does it? All right. So on this chart, if you're age 40 to 49, 41% of those people have less than 50,000 save, 18% are between 50 and 100. 27% are between 100 and 500 and 7% 500 to a million and 7% 1 million or more. You know, that 100 to 500,000, 27% age 40 to 49, uh, decent chunk of money. I mean, not knocking the cover off the ball, but doing something. What's the column that says on track for financial goals? Uh, There is none. Because I don't know if you know, so G financial goals are individual. 
And you should probably pay attention to that instead of this rubbish that I'm reading right now. But I digress. Clickbait. Let's do more rubbish. Age 50 to 59, 37% have less than 50,000 saved. 16%. It's a third. Over a third. 50 to 100. Then 32%, 100 to 500. So 32% of 50 to 59 is kind of in the same boat that uh, 27% of the 40 to 49 are in. Less than half a million, which but means... But I'd also submit to you that 100 is way different than 500 and 50 is a lot different than 59. <laughs> like, which, like, are you 100 at 50 or are you 100 at 59? Are you at 499 at 50 or are you at 499 at 59? Yeah, if you're at half a million and you're 51 years old, you're probably behind your goal, but you... You're in the ballpark. You're, you, you've got a fighting chance. If you're 58 years old and you've $100,000 saved, Houston, we have a problem. You've got a little ways to go yet. 14%, by the way, over half a million. Age 60 to 69, 28% less than $50,000 saved. 10%, 50 to 100. 36%, 100 to half a million. And then uh, once again, that's a huge, huge range. 14% between half a million and a million. 12% though, have a million or more. But the thing is, is that, and I think we're saying this just to kind of prove the point here, I have and have had many people who have retired with under $500,000. And they are adequately covered. They're super comfortable. They do what they want to do. They live the life that they want to live. They have a pension? Yeah, pension and Social Security, sure. Yeah. And I also know a whole bunch of people that have three or four or $5 million dollars that better slow their roll a little bit or they're going to run out soon. You know, we all, we always, we all say this at some level, which is like, Oh, well, if I had insert thing here, right. That would never happen to me. If I, uh, I wouldn't, I would be able to figure out a way to make a 3 million work, you know? Um, but it's that just slippery, slippery slope of, of lifestyle inflation and, and all that other sort of nonsense that just gets kind of, is very comfortable and once you get to a certain level, I think, uh, I don't know where I heard this, but I've said it a couple times recently, luxury once experienced is now required. Once you realize how great a Ritz-Carlton is, courtyards suck compared to a Ritz-Carlton. And by the way, I mean? once you realize how nice the courtyard is, Red Roof Inn sucks. It's always, <laughs> exactly. it's always degrees There's of There's always something stuff. there. Yeah. So I think that this is a bigger issue than just like, well, I've got a million or I've got half a million or whatever it is. It's the behavior that's been tied to that over the 40 years of living between 20 and 60. And if this doesn't drive home the point, which is you are yourself, you have to do your own math. And who gives a flying squirrel whether or not you're in the top quartile or bottom quartile for your age bracket? Who gives a crap? None of that matters. It doesn't matter. At the bottom of this, so Kathleen does redeem herself some. I mean, I'm sure this was written according to, you know, somebody somewhere said, hey, Kathleen, go write this because Kathleen's written some great stuff. But at the bottom, she's got three tips, OG, that I think you and I can get behind. Number one, put your money to work today. Doesn't matter where you're at. Start today. Correct. Number two is automate. I think we talked about that on Monday, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Just automate. And then number three is, and this is the big one that people always miss, Increase your income. Increase your income. The key, the much, much bigger key 
than trying to shrink your expenses. Although we've got JT and Tamsin upstairs, sometimes shrinking your expenses is not a bad idea either, which I'm sure they're going to talk about. Uh, Crazy. You should do something unique for you. Uh, something maybe a little personal, uh, uh, something that you're okay with. That is strange. Weird. Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe you should... Oh, I have a crazy idea, Joe. This is great. You're gonna. This is gonna blow your mind. Oh, hold on. Maybe I gotta sit down. Okay. Yes, and get out a pen. Let me get to the whiteboard. Let's do this. Let's decrease our expenses. Hold on. Wait. There's more. And increase our income. Oh, really, dude? Dude, knowledge bomb dropped. I think you should trademark that because nobody said that before. TM. And our second headline comes to us from Kiplinger. Listen to this, OG. Medicare Part B premiums climb for 2020. High-income retirees will experience the biggest changes. This is written by Rachel Sheedy. Uh, Rachel writes, Medicare beneficiaries expect to pay more for coverage next year. The Medicare Part B premium is rising, and high-income retirees will see a spike in income-related charges for 2020. But for the first time in a decade, inflation adjustments have changed the income thresholds for those charges, mitigating the pain for some high-income beneficiaries. You know what? I don't even understand what I just read. So we, we've we invited down to the basement my good friend, Danielle Kunkel-Roberts from Boomer Benefits, who I hope, Danielle, you can explain the spaghetti to me. You bet, Joe. Isn't it fun and exciting reading? I know people love to read about this stuff. I, so. I was wondering, do you like take this benefit stuff with you to bed you know, and then read like a page or two and it's like a good night tale. I think it's a great sleeping material. I always tell our clients that go read your Medicare and you handbook and you'll get a great night's sleep because it is the most boring material on the face of the planet. Well, the good news is you're able to make it entertaining. So entertain us, Danielle. What's going on here? Okay. So of course, Medicare is a type of insurance for your healthcare risks. And the costs for Medicare inflate every year like everything else. So over the years, we see those premiums climb a little bit every year. And this year, 2020, we have a standard base premium of 144.60. What that means is that's how much you're going to pay out of your Social Security income to have Medicare in return provide 80% of your outpatient health care costs. Whoa, that's whoa, the whoa. Trade-off. You're saying it's not free? It's definitely not free. And that's my favorite. You know, you're on my, my bandwagon now. <laughs> Medicare is not free. It's going to cost you money someday. So you need to be prepared for this. But the part that they're referring to here about the high income individuals is some years ago, in an effort to keep Medicare solvent for as long as possible, they came up with a great idea that, hey, if you earn a little more, you can pay more than everyone else for your Medicare Part B premiums. So they came up with a little chart here. It's nicely represented on the Kiplinger page. And if you earn more than 85000 as an individual or 170000 as a married couple for the last few years, that was the threshold at which you would pay more. And this year, they finally raised those thresholds a little bit. So it's now 87000 as an individual or 174000 as a filing jointly married couple. Now this is the threshold. So if you happen to be in that eighty-five to 87000 as an individual, you may pay less than 
2020 than you did before because they're finally accounting for inflation and wages with these. But the tricky part you can see here is trying to plan for what you're going to spend, right? Because yeah. you might be thinking, oh, Medicare Part B costs 144.60, but you didn't account for the fact that you make pretty good money and you're going to pay more. This isn't just uh, news for people that are in retirement right now. I mean, don't get me wrong, this particular news is, but uh, you and I have done a headline for Money with Friends, uh, the other podcast that I'm on. This is news that people way under the age where they get Medicare should worry about now. Like this type of planning, when should people start worrying about and planning for Medicare and how this whole thing works? You need to be on it at least by age 60. I often say that I wish there was a class for people at 50 so that they would start just being aware that Medicare isn't free and that you're going to have some insurance you'll need to buy alongside it to cover the things that it doesn't. But, you know, if you want to start really putting together a good financial plan for your health care, you need at least five years before you turn 65 to be aware and saving up for those costs. I think, and I'm sure everyone listening to this will agree that the younger you start, the better. But if you haven't looked at the healthcare piece and you wait until 65, that's where people truly get into trouble because your social security check is only going to go so far. You need to have put some money away for all these other costs associated with healthcare and retirement. This is an important time, by the way, for a lot of people listening. There is an open enrollment going on right now. Yeah. So every year people can make plan choices in the fall. And sometimes people who make those choices don't understand that the plan that they're buying. So if they enroll into a Medicare Advantage plan, which is a sort of a Medicare HMO, it's a way you can get your benefits through a private network, you may get in there and find out that your doctor isn't in the network or the drugs don't list doesn't include one of the medications that you need, or you can't get a referral to a specialist that you need because he's not in the network. If for any reason you enroll in that plan and you don't like it, you have until March 31st to leave that plan and either switch to another Advantage plan or return to original Medicare. So this is your window. And if you don't get it done by the 31st, you'll be in that Medicare Advantage plan until the next fall annual election period, which is some months away, of course. And a great resource for people to go to if they want to know more. I wish there was one, Danielle. Well, uh, your wish is granted. I'm your personal That's genie fantastic. for the day. That's right. And I will send you on over to boomerbenefits.com where you can read all sorts of very entertaining and delicious material about what you will spend on Medicare someday in your future so that you can start planning while you're younger and uh, not be part of that pack that gets surprised and has to work a few years beyond what you intended. Danielle, thanks for hanging out with us for a minute and telling us what the hell's going on. <laughs> you bet. Anytime, Joe. Big thanks to Danielle. Deadlines, very important, OG. Important to get it done by the deadline if you want to make a change. There's another deadline coming, by the way, and that is tax tax day. October the 15th. uh, (laughs) April's the day. Every entrepreneur, business owner in America said amen. April 15th is the day Actually, that OG, September 15th for, for business taxes. OG knows it, April 15th is the day he's got to have that one sheet of paper in that says, I'm going to punt. I promise to do it sometime in the future. <laughs> in the next six months, I will get this done. But Free Tax USA, I love the discussion in the basement about this company because uh, somebody brought up, hey, new sponsor on today's show, Free Tax USA. Anybody use them? And 
all the people knowing what you and I know about freetexusa.com saying the same thing, just about what a great company this is serving uh, an important need founded in 2001, by the way, by CPA and a team of professional software developers. Freetax USA is also one of the fastest growing websites online today. Over 43 million free federal tax returns have been filed with the IRS through them. The free service has 175,000 plus five-star reviews. Your maximum refund is guaranteed at Freetax USA. Their free service includes basic premium and self-employed features. Federal filing is free, even with 1099 rental or small business income. Other services charge, as you may know, over $100 to file advanced tax returns. Common life events like having a child going to school and buying and selling a house are covered without the need to upgrade. So here's the question. When I first heard the term free tax USA, and then you hear something like we said in the open OG, get 10% off free tax USA. You're like, well, um, uh, excuse me. Uh, I thought it was called free tax USA. Where does the 10% off come in? What's going on here? How does free tax USA make their money? Well, here's what you'll get 10% off of using our link. They make money from state returns and other optional services. Filing your federal and state taxes together saves time and improves accuracy. And for less than 15 bucks, it's an excellent value. There's no risk to try FreeTax USA. You don't pay anything until you're ready to file your return, create an account, and compare the results and price with your current tax software. By the way, you can always import a PDF from TurboTax, H&R Block, or Tax Act, making it easy to switch. To learn more and get 10% off, go to freetaxusa.com forward slash SB and use code SB. Because you're a stacker, you'll get 10% off. When you go to freetaxusa.com forward slash SB, use code SB. I think our lessons here, number one, deadline is important, not just on taxes, but also if you're, as Danielle so eloquently talked about, eligible for some Medicare Advantage plans. And then second, OG, planning in general, it's so easy to set your own course. You don't need to compare yourself to everybody else. Well, JT and Tamsin upstairs talking to mom, uh, this couple is so interesting. OG, they pursued FIRE, which is financial independence retire early at a very young age. JT had a fantastic job. But what I loved about their story is this. A lot of times, and this is what we've complained about before, a lot of people lock themselves into a lifestyle when they decide to retire super early that might not be sustainable. And JT and Tamsin realized that the lifestyle they set was probably not sustainable. And so they rebooted and took some pretty drastic action. And it was exciting as we got ready for this interview to talk about flexibility. So I can't wait to hear the whole story. Let's say hello to JT and Tamsin. And here they come down to the basement. I've I've been so excited about hearing this story. It's our new friends, JT and Tamsin. How are you guys? We're doing good. Yeah, great. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm so happy you are open to telling your story. And it starts off very happy. 
And by the way, we're going to spoil a little bit. It starts off very happy. It gets maybe not so happy, but then I think there's a happy ever after here. So, but JT, I want to start with you. You, I understand, went on went on maternity leave when you guys were having a baby. Yeah, they had a nice uh, paternity leave policy at work, so uh, they let me off for a, pretty much a whole quarter for our last child, and that, that was uh, quite an event. That's awesome. Now you like this job, though, right? Yeah, I liked the work I'm doing. Uh, I liked who I worked for. There's just a lot of things about the job I really enjoyed. Tamsin, when he took paternity leave. You know, some couples we talk to, it's it's fun having husband home 24-7. Other people, they're like, uh, what the hell's going on? We're mm-hmm. <laughs> having you two in close quarters for that whole quarter. How was that for you? I was in heaven, really, because I feel like we tag team pretty well. So while I was dealing with the newborn, I could say, take the other three and go somewhere, <laughs> nice. you know, so I could still have alone time, me time. I think we set up a really good system at the beginning, you know, with nightly feedings, JT had a lot of gaming that he wanted to catch up on. And I had a lot of sleep that I wanted to catch up on. So I would go to bed, I'd feed the baby at nine, go to bed, and then not even have to worry until like, I feel like nine the next day, it was awesome. The first two nights after having the baby, I got 12 hours of sleep, and he'd handle the feedings and and then I'd get up and then he'd be able to go to bed and I'd handle everybody. So oh, that's fantastic. That's great for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. So, JT, at what part during that quarter off did you make one of many momentous decisions? I would say that um, after the decompression period at the beginning, the decision making really came towards the end. Right? It was a they had a twelve week policy, so around about week ten or eleven, you start to realize that the dream has to come to an end. <laughs> right? And then at that point, I started to say wait a minute, I don't really want this to stop. This is pretty great. Why does it have to stop, right? What, you know, I've, I've been learning about this financial independence thing. Why, why can't this just keep going? So, and, and you guys had done a great job of saving. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did pretty good at um, stocking away a, a pretty, pretty healthy amount of our, our income. So then I imagine JT, you being a numbers guy, that's when the spreadsheets came out fast and furious. Yeah, certainly. I had always been tinkering with the spreadsheets, but uh, kind of lights a fire under you, right? Once you get a good taste of that uh, that freedom. financial, <laughs> the freedom that comes with that, and you realize, wait a minute, you know, this was a great in theory before, uh, and it was a nice motivator to say, hey, one day we can do this. But when you're tasting it right then, you realize, man, I, I need this sooner rather than later. Yeah, and not, not money-wise, but for your soul, right? I mean, this is really about being who you want to be and being intentional about your life. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that was what I really, for us, that's what we really loved about it, right? It was the ability to wake up every morning and decide how we were going to spend our time. We didn't have to get up and say, okay, I have all these pressures on my time, all these requirements that I've placed on myself and that other people are placing on me. Every morning was just a matter of getting up and saying, you know what, what do we want to accomplish today? What What's a priority for us now? And we don't have to handle all of the regular occurrences, right, of, of work and other things that really people put on you. And in that part, that, that was the, that was the, the revelatory part, right? It was just yeah. so amazing to kind of feel that. Yeah. And how old are you? Uh, 31, One. just <laughs> 31. Well, and how old were you when you made this decision? Just mm. two years ago. Yeah. So I had just turned 29, mm-hmm. 30. Yeah. Just turned 29. So Tamsin, did you and he have a discussion first and then it was, and then he went to the spreadsheets or did he come to you with completed spreadsheets and oh, say, I think we can do it? Constantly, He's constantly running spreadsheets. Like he's always saying, 
I ran the numbers again and, and we can retire in five years. One week later, I ran the numbers again and, and it, it's six now. And like, I feel like it constantly changes. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, okay, that sounds good. Oh yeah. Oh, good job, babe. Yeah. That sounds great. So it was kind of like, he came to me, I have an idea. I don't want this to stop. We could stop now. Like we could stop working now. But you guys were so young, Tamsin. I mean, what was your thought when he, when he said, I think I can stop? He's had me on this roller coaster since the second year we got married. I've been fine with it the whole time because he slowly just likes to talk me into things. And I, at first I go, that sounds kind of weird. And then he keeps talking about it. It sounds nicer and nicer. And, and yeah, I see the perks as we go along. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, okay. This, this sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And it sounds like the perks were fantastic. Was there one stat, JT, though, that really put you over the top that made you go, you know what, I think we can do this? Is there one piece of the spreadsheet that came together, like lowering expenses or or you came up with another stream of income or something that put you over the top? Yeah, I think the catalyst for us after we really got the the wild hair after that paternity leave finally wrapped up was when we started to find other ways outside of my job to create income, right? As we started to really focus on that because it was always savings and building our net worth up to that point, stock and stocks, uh, passive income, things like that. But when we really started to say, okay, what can we actively do to create income? I mean, then we started working on those streams. Then it became a discussion about, well, wait, what can we do to replace what we need, right? Because mm-hmm. what we're making is far more than what we're using. So now we just have to replace what we're actually using. So as long as we can keep that within reason and then build up a nice buffer. So between uh, having an avenue to create the income we needed to uh, survive effectively and creating enough runway to know that, okay, even if we get this dead wrong, we're not going to be on the street next week. We'll have at least three weeks, you know, like, so we built up some, <laughs> some runway to that, right? Before we, we knew we were going to run out of money. So having those two in tandem kind of gave us what we needed to kind of take that the next step. And this is a whole different podcast that we're not going to get into, but the avenue for you when you talk about income streams is real estate. Right. Yep. I, yeah. My my avenue is um, active real estate investing. Exactly. Yeah. We'll save that for the second time you come on. When we dive into that. <laughs> but I want to talk about this. So you guys are going along. It sounds like things are going fantastic. But then at some point, JT, you realize it sounds like the way I heard the story, kind of like a startup, right? Where they realize that the gravy train, this gravy train might might run out. When did you start to feel like it wasn't as safe as you thought it was at first. I would say that the catalysts, it's hard to point to one specific catalyst, but if I had to pick a moment um, at which I realized that things weren't on track any longer, um, it would be summer 2019, so about six, eight months ago now. I'd quit my job in April, and I had been doubling down on the real estate part and building that up. But I went to a financial retreat called Chautauqua, And uh, while I was there having a a week's worth of conversations and uh, introspective opportunities, I realized that, you know, this, like the spending amount we had built for ourselves, while we feel it was uh, reasonable, it it was still higher than we wanted it to be. And that was kind of a trigger point. So we came home and we looked at it and said, you know, with the amount of money we're spending uh, and the amount of money we have in savings, you know, and then more spreadsheets, more spreadsheets, realize we need to we need to lower this. This is not going to work for us. You know, this is not going to get us where we want to be. And we're clearly spending too much, but where are we spending too much? And that's where the conversation started. But I want to be clear here for people listening. It wasn't about, I mean, and tell me if I'm right here, it wasn't about imminent need, like the wheels are coming off the bus now. What you're saying, JT, is you wanted to have more flexibility for the rest of your life than you thought you were going to be able to give yourself based on the current trajectory. 
Yeah, 100%, right? It wasn't like we were going to run out of money next month. Yeah. It was a matter of looking at how much we had and what we were spending and saying, you know, if if we went from uh, our current spending level and cut that by 20 or 25%, it not only does it, you know, lengthen the the runway for the next year, it makes our you know, how much money I have to make every month in real estate it makes that more reasonable, right? And it just takes a lot of pressure off the whole system, right? If you can lower yeah. lower those expenses by a healthy amount, it, it, it makes everything just, um, it took a lot of stress off because the stress that I never expected when I quit my job was uh, the roller coaster, particularly with, with real estate, the roller coaster of income, right? So so some months I make negative, you know, right. and then some months I make I make good money, it, right? And so that, that that roller coaster of emotion was uh, was more than I expected. Um, so I was like, man, we've got to figure out a way to 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 lengthen that that runway quite a bit and and lower these lower the pressure. Uh, otherwise, I don't know if I'm going to take it. My, I'm going to have a heart attack here. So because all this roller coaster event. Yeah, because I'm imagining that, especially with active, it's uh, ramen noodle, ramen noodle, ramen noodle, big steak dinner, big steak dinner, <laughs> huge steak dinner, big screen TV. Then more, exactly no, right. yeah. yeah. Samson, I'm wondering, you know, I'm, I just imagine the stuff in my head, right? As a money nerd, I just imagine JT coming to you and going, Houston, we have a problem, right? Like the, like the, uh, that Apollo movie. And I'm just imagining you too, that you, you know, I'm like most people, I'm sure you like your house, you like your lifestyle. And then JT comes and goes, the spreadsheet's not really working out. Tell me about that discussion. Uh, that was a hard one. Most discussions go like, I have a new idea. I have a new scheme. This is great. And this discussion started out, I really feel like we need to move. And it was like, what? Holy moly. <laughs> but, but we wanted this house. I love this kitchen and all this space. And we were going to be here for, we wanted the big front room and the big great room. And we have room for everything. And we're in a great place. And I like the school. And it was just so many things come with where you live. Obviously, the first thing we talked about, okay, great. Well, well, first thing I talked about, where are we going to move to? Can we stay in the same neighborhood? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have to switch schools, switch churches, switch like everything yeah. around us. But Schools, friends, where you shop. I, yeah. mean, I mean, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and JT, your answer to that was? My answer to that was we sat down and looked at like how much we were spending overall. And I just asked her like, is this a number that we're happy with? I think we both agreed like, no, you know, yeah. really, that's more than we want to be spending. Why are we spending this much? And I said, okay, like, where can we cut? What can we do to bring this number yeah. under control? You're saying, you're, I'm happy to stay in the house, but we need a cut from somewhere else. Where else can we? But there's Looking two everywhere else. It's like, mm, well. <laughs> <laughs> but there's two sides of every equation, right? There's the expense one. And as you guys already know from Chautauqua and being a part of the fire community, the financially independent retire community, that you guys went for the jugular, right? That's the big one. I mean, housing, transportation, food costs, right? Boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. There they are. And you went for the big number one. But but I want to go to the other side of the equation. There also is make more. I mean, I don't know if there was an opportunity to go back to work part-time or if there was a, a, a way to bring in income faster. Did you guys think about that? Yeah, we definitely discussed that. And I feel like this is a constant. He constantly approaches me with spreadsheets and I constantly, I approach him and say, We're, we need more. <laughs> We're not making enough money. I can go back to work and you'll have me less. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. That's fine. I, I, I like having you as much as I do. Thanks. <laughs> not an option. That's good. I love those discussions, by the way. That's fantastic. So then you start off with the discussion. So Tamsin, then I'm assuming then you go, okay, all right. Uh, tell me what happens next. 
Oh, we start uh, looking for houses and we're not in a hurry. And we start looking for one that feels good and that we're both happy with. We write a list of what we absolutely need in a house, what would be nice to have, and what we absolutely do not want in a house. Financially, about how much and what range was your house worth, you thought, at the time? Uh, it was about 450 And then just yeah, to give an idea then of how much you were going to cut, what price range were you looking at to make the spreadsheet work? It had to be under 250 for it to work. And it was kind of more than that. It had to be under 250 and it had to have a rentable guest house so we could cut it even further. Gotcha. So you could get some more income coming in too. So you were yep. you're, you're doing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to tell me it had to be a tent in a woods, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably but it could be a big tent. That's right. So, so I'm imagining if you have a house that's worth 450 and you're looking in the 250 range, Tamsin, it isn't, it isn't coming up roses. I can't imagine that you're coming up with houses that are right and left. What's in your, uh, I don't know, your love zone. I don't know what to call, what to call yeah, it. Yeah. The pictures on the internets, they're scary. <laughs> he shows me houses. He's like, this looks great. Good picture upper. We can do this. I'm going, this is a crap hole. I'm scared. <laughs> don't move us here. <laughs> well, well, and especially when you start thinking about schools too, you know? Yes. That's a whole different episode discussion with where we've gone in that route. Well, now we now we got you guys come back twice. So this is <laughs> this is the first in the trilogy, right? So JT, back to you. How does it go then looking for houses? I mean, clearly you find a place. Tell me about finding the place and what it what it looked like. Paint me a picture. Yeah. So over a few months, right? I um, engaged a realtor friend of mine, and um, he started feeding me leads from the MLS. Obviously, as a real estate investor, I know other real estate investors. So I started looking at even more severe options like um, wholesale and all kinds of things. You know, what was the right place? But uh, we had really specific criteria about what kind of neighborhood it was, what you know dimensions the house as far as a number of rooms, guest house, things like that. So it, it ended up being kind of tough to find the right spot. But we knew exactly what we were looking for. So when this house, when we ended up buying, came on the market, um, it showed up at, I don't know, three o'clock. And we were at the house at about five o'clock yeah. and we had an offer at about six o'clock. Wow. So we knew, we knew exactly what we were looking for, showed up and said, yep, this meets all of our criteria. We want it. And we just made a full price offer because we knew paying even at asking price, and it was a, a reasonable asking price, that we would get everything we needed in the house um, and it, it hit all our criteria. So, Well, it's cool. I mean, that gets rid of the horrible negotiation period, the most annoying, you know, part of the, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, because you're already saving so much money, so you made the seller happy too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but tell me about the house. I'm sure that when you go down a couple hundred thousand dollars, this isn't like move-in condition. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, we went from a house that was around 3,700 square feet, and the mm. base of this house is 1,350. Um, and then it has another couple hundred square feet of storage. So we're, we're close to maybe 1,600-ish you know, so uh, that's not including, you know, the small guest house that we ultimately rented out. But it was a foreclosure before these people bought it. And um, they basically did the bare minimum to it to live in it. Um, so when we came, it was kind of a full refresh of everything, right? Uh, new flooring, walls, uh, partial kitchens, partial bathrooms, just all kinds of stuff that we had to go through and, um, and work on. So, uh, yeah, it, it was um, probably a solid month plus yeah. of, of a lot of DIY work because, you know, part of the goal was we didn't want to outlay uh, a bunch of money on contractors. And we had um, some of the know-how 
and the ingenuity necessary to kind of get in there and get it figured out. So, so you got the kids doing the demo and installing the washer and dryer. Is that the deal? <laughs> There you go. Yeah, they, we just gave uh, the four-year-old a hammer and it was mostly done within <laughs> half an hour. So, Yeah, but you know what? If it's like my kids when they were four, it was every wall you wanted to keep. That was <laughs> the ones that got hit. There's a piece of this though. I mean, you're already somebody that knows real estate, JT. So I'm imagining that when it came to contractors and stuff you couldn't do yourself, you also knew the right people to call. Yeah, I did take advantage of that for sure. The ability to reach out to... Um, other real estate investors I know in the Phoenix area. And, and while I don't particularly work on houses, uh, a lot of these investors I know do. And so they, you know, they've got Rolodexes of contractors. And so I just go to them and say, Hey, give me your best guy for carpet. Give me the best person, you know, to do vinyl planking or whatever I needed. They could come and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's who we use. Their quality is great. They're awesome. Just go ahead and use them. Right. And they've got really competitive prices. And so I can kind of lean on that. Um, and for the people I couldn't find, you know, I, I leveraged the internet, right? Yeah. <laughs> did a lot of uh, quoting and uh, meetings and things like that to find the right person. So, But I'm also thinking that, you know, there's a lot of people maybe driving their car, walking the dog right now, listening to us talk. And that part might make them afraid, but I don't feel like while that was an advantage, that wouldn't be a reason. If you didn't have those contacts, I think you probably still would have done it. Is that true? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I didn't get all of my contractors off of those personal recommendations, right? Yeah. Um, some of the personal recommendations didn't even work out, let's be honest. So there were definitely times where uh, I sourced my own. You know, there there's some fantastic platforms out there, like um, one that I've used a lot is Thumbtack, right? So you go there in Phoenix, they've got a good, good collection of people where I say, hey, I need this kind of work done. You, you submit it to several professionals in that whatever realm that is, and uh, they'll come out, they'll give you quotes, you just talk to people and, and kind of get familiar with them and decide, can I talk to people who've done work you've done work for before or it's just like any other process of finding the right person, uh, specialist, right. For any kind of field, they, uh, it, it, as long as you get the, get what you need, the research done, then you can find a good, good resource at a good price. Next question is about financing the house. I want to talk about that specifically because there's two ways you could have gone. You could have taken equity from that house and minimized the loan, right? So that you had almost no loan or maybe no loan on this house. On the other side, you could take whatever money you had and keep it liquid and then stretch out payments that are super low and then play the beat the market game. Which way did you guys go there? We ended up doing the financing routes. Yeah. Which was um, quite challenging given that we had uh, stopped W2 employment. I didn't even think about that. Self-employment. When, I, when, <laughs> when I asked the question, I didn't even think about that, JT. Tell me about what a that was. It, it was, yeah, it was quite a pain because, uh, you know, ultimately, not only do financiers typically love W-2, right, because it's nice and consistent and easy for their calculations, but when you tell them, yeah, I have self-employment income and I haven't been doing, doing it for five years, I've only been doing it for, you know, a year and a half or two years, I don't really like that very much. <laughs> so we had to get, uh, we, we had to talk to a lot of financiers till we found the right person who could put the right uh, option in place to make that a reality. Did, it definitely took a lot of elbow grease. Did you end up with a higher interest rate because of that? Yeah, certainly. We ended up with a higher interest rate than than I think uh, I would have. You know, if we had moved before I quit my job, yeah. it would have been butter. It was super, super easy. Yeah. But because we decided this after, unfortunately, <laughs> then it made it a lot more challenging. Uh, interest rates were higher. You know, there's a lot of things that were, were a lot more costly because of it. But ultimately, it still ended up being worth it. So, Tamsin, well, you said that. I'm going to ask the boss if it was <laughs> worth it. Tamsin, now that this is done 
and you're moved in and it sounds like it is gone very, very well. Uh, how does it feel now? The first week that we were here, I remember both of us in at different times saying like, I feel really good here. I feel like really peaceful. Like we made the right decision. Since then, in subsequent weeks, I've not felt as peaceful and I've like, you know, had anxiety about kids and being squished into small rooms. They only have like three rooms to play as opposed to the old house where they had at least seven. (laughs) So we kind of bump into each other more and there's more whining and screaming and I'm going, I don't like this, but definitely have to recall those feelings from the first week. We moved in. We felt good. I, I know this is okay. It'll be okay. Is this uh, permanent or what's the next step for the two of you oh, guys? That, that's the other reason I feel comfortable because I know it's not permanent. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When's, when do you think the next move is according to your spreadsheet, JT? Uh, I think our current projections are a minimum of two years, right? So we don't have to pay any capital gains on the um, appreciation we built in when we moved in. But I would say it's two to five is our projection, mm-hmm. right? So we'll see where we're at in a couple of years and... Maybe this, the next house is a super long house or, you know, we just don't know. But uh, two to five years is our current current spreadsheet. I love the story of communication. I love the story of having the guts to say, you know what, this isn't working out and downsizing. I also love the fact that the place you bought, you, you bought a house that you immediately add an income stream to, which is going to be attractive to the next person that buys it. And you fixed up a house that had been a foreclosure house minimum. And now I'm assuming... I would think based on that, that criteria already, like, like there's built-in money almost immediately, right? A bunch of money yeah. already. If you sold it today, there'd probably be a bunch of money. There's so many themes there. And so I think we'll end it right there with stop one of our uh, trilogy of talking, <laughs> <laughs> talking with Tamsin and JT. Guys, thanks for telling your story. When I first heard it, uh, when our producer Taylor told it to me, I was so excited to talk to you. And this has been fantastic. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having, for having us. us. Yeah. Hey there, trivia fans, or should I say loyal subjects. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and my plan to rule the basement is underway. I stopped back by the Burger King downtown to grab one of their authentic crowns to make it incredibly clear to all who's now really in charge. I've also been referring to myself every chance I get as His Highness. It's a lot easier than you'd think. As in, yes, Mom, His Highness can go grab your foot massager. And yes, Joe, His Highness can now perform the trivia as he wishes. Now, if I can just get that damned flat hand wave down, it's it's difficult. There are moving parts. While I continue to assert myself, here's today's trivia. While the Queen got a 13% pay raise last year thanks to the people of the UK, she's not the most costly royal. Who spends the lion's share of the money the house receives? Which one of these bums is the biggest drain in the family? That's what I want to know. I'll be back with the answer after I find out who's the biggest drain here in the basement. Maybe that will be the final turning point to me ascending the podcast throne once again and once and for all. <laughs> uh, uh, carry on. I remember early in my career, OG, I knew very little about personal finance and I felt like I was drinking through a fire hydrant all the all the information that was that was coming out. So not only 
was I, of course, in a training program with my company, but I also would just devour books from the library. Um, and I remember one of the early books that I got was from these two crazy dudes from The Motley Fool, David and Tom Gardner, and talking mm-hmm. talking about because clients would come in with individual stocks and and I knew nothing about how any of that stuff worked, except for, of course, I mean, I knew all my Series 7 stuff, which, by the way, is pretty extensive, if you remember. The training for to get your Series 7 license to trade securities. Uh, by the time I got done with that, I felt like I knew so much. But yet, I knew a lot of the fundamentals about how the whole process worked. I didn't know anything about individual companies or what was going on with the stock or or whatever, how to analyze them. And that's where people like The Motley Fool came in. So if you've ever wondered how to invest or struggled to understand how to make your money work for you, The Motley Fool is just what you need. The Motley Fool provides advice and guidance that cuts through the noise of standard business sections and websites and provides you with simple, easy-to-use analysis to help you understand the financial markets. Motley Fool started by those two brothers I mentioned earlier, Tom and David Gardner. They founded it out of their garage in Alexandria, Virginia, and both of them are still with the company. Tom is the CEO. David's the lead stock analyst and a board member. Their flagship service now, Stock Advisor, provides two stock recommendations every month. Here's what I really like. Daily analysis and coverage designed to help you beat the market. Now, beat the market, not that concerned with that. I'm concerned with meeting your goal. What I like better is the analysis that tells you kind of the heartbeat of how these companies work and how they look at individual companies. So if you've ever wanted to invest in individual stocks, understanding how to analyze those stocks on a fundamental basis, super important. There's two types of analysis. There's fundamental analysis and there's technical analysis. Technical analysis is charts and graphs and what's going on with Mr. Market right now, which people like Warren Buffett will tell you aren't, isn't that important, but people trading often will tell you, can give you a leg up. Much more important though is fundamental analysis. How do you read a company's balance sheet and their income statement to see where the opportunity is? And by the way, even if you're not interested just in individual stocks, a lot of that stuff, OG, helped me figure out how to better run a company and what was important. Like as an example, free cash flow, the heartbeat, I believe, of a good company, any good company is is free cash flow. I like anything that's free. Free bagels, free coffee. Oh, free cash flow? I'll have some of that. Free cash flow. Yes, give me some of that. Much as you can get. To kickstart your 2020 financial goals, Motley Fool's offering five of their favorite stock picks for free to stackers. Head to fool.com forward slash SB. That's five of their favorite stock picks for free. Head to fool.com forward slash SB. Howdy, trivia fans. I'm the man commonly referred to as Your Excellency, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Get this, stackers. Joe's mom, I think, has backed the right contender for the throne. She's even letting me take over what she calls the royal responsibilities. It sounds so important. Did you know the kings and queens clean their own bathrooms and take out the trash? I mean, who knew? I didn't either. But hey, uh, Joe's mom apparently did. That's one smart lady. But... Before I get back to my royal duties, I've got your trivia answer. The question was, who's the costliest royal in the family? And the answer, while the queen does a little travel these days, most of it's 
picked up by the young, handsome Prince William now, who, you know, because of his travel, spends the lion's share of the money the royals receive. I uh, wonder if he gets another pay raise now that somebody's going to claim Harry's cash. Speaking of claim, time for me to claim that toilet brush, hold it like a scepter, and get brushing. See ya! I wonder if William did do that, went to grandma and goes, you know, now that Harry kind of uh, decided he didn't want money, I'm more than happy. I can take a little extra. He's got some kids now. He and the little missus got some kids. I'm sure he, I'm sure he went to his grandmother and said, yeah, the missus and I. Hey, grandma, can I borrow 50 million? That'd be fantastic. You know how hard it is to raise a family these days, grandma? I know. It's crazy. That's how the other half lives, I guess. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. Royal crowns, of course. The jewels, the royal jewels. The royal jewels. So, so many jokes, so little time. That got uncomfortable (laughs) in a hurry. I don't know. Tea and crumpets. There it is. A biscuit. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple because the real answer, OG, was your loved ones and your time. Head to, but who are you going to have tea with if it's not your loved ones? Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. And today we're throwing out the lifeline to our friend uh, Joseph. Say hi, Joseph. Hey, Doug. Can you make sure Joe and OG get this? So I've got a question for you. I'm looking at whether to go Roth or traditional. And it seems like all of the advice I get is to always go Roth. But why would I want to go traditional? Am I ignoring something or am I missing out on something by going 100% Roth with all my investments? Thanks. Oh, the Roth versus traditional question is funny, OG, because I do remember much earlier on in the Roth days hearing uh, all the time about the crossover point, right? If you're younger, use a Roth. If you're older, use traditional. But lately, lately, it seems like all I read is uh, Roth, 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 Roth. Nope, not missing anything. Traditional IRAs suck. Roths are awesome. Off you go. Drop no, the mic. There's, there's, there's more to that. The biggest difference is, you know, as you guess around what's going to happen for future tax rates. And you might be talking about traditional 401k contributions versus Roth 401k contributions. You know, that's going to have a little bit bigger of an impact, I think, over a long period of time than uh, simple IRA and Roth uh, contributions at the lower amount. But um, but the reality is, is that y- you're not going to know whether or not you got it right until you find out that you got it right down the line. Uh, we don't know what tax rates are going to be. Now, there are some rules around traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs that we have to be aware of. And the first one is, is that generically speaking, if you have a workplace plan and you make 50 grand or more, and I'm rounding, then you can't even get the tax deduction that a traditional IRA offers anyway. So if that's the case, you should just do the Roth because you're not getting a tax deduction anyway. Now, in the circumstances where you might get a tax deduction, because either your company doesn't offer a workplace plan or, uh, or you don't make uh, as much income, now you're looking at it from a tax standpoint and saying, well, your effective tax rate on forty grand is probably under 10% anyway. So 
do you want to pay 10%? Let's say it's 10%. Do you want to pay 10% on those dollars today, a guaranteed 10% or some unknown number in the future? Cause we don't know what the tax rates are going to look like in the future. 10% is pretty low. I mean, that's lower than capital gains rates. So I'd pay the 10%, meaning I'd put it in the Roth. I'd pay my taxes today and get it over with. And I think that's kind of the general sense on most of this. Now, that said, I think one thing to always remember is that every strategy has an Achilles heel. And part of the key of winning with your money is to know what could possibly go wrong. And one thing that some experts have talked about in the past, and and I also think like they do, that it is only a very, 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 very remote possibility, but you need to be aware of, which is they could change the law. You could have yeah. this money sitting in a Roth and they could change it so that they go, well, maybe we'll take just a little bit off of this to make ends meet. And certainly you could see the possibility of that. But like most experts say, there'd be so much pressure negatively for them not to do that. Like imagine the number of people that would become voters <laughs> On single issue voters about that that thing that would be highly unpopular, but it could happen, and I think you got to know that going in. Or it just may cease to exist as a tool. There may be a day that comes and say, "Well, we can't afford as a as a country to have piles of money that will never be taxed again." So now it's going to be know? like so a regular broker. Do it. It'll be like a regular brokerage account now, and we're just going to yeah. tax it from here on out. Yeah, could do that too. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of different. There's a lot of different things that can happen. So my point is, is that you can't know that you got it exactly optimized perfectly 1 million percent accurately until you find out after the fact. Well, and so that, you have to have a little bit of both. Yeah. And that goes back to JT and Tamsin. I mean, what I really liked about talking with them was that they were okay with the fact that things change, you know, and, yeah. and based on their plan now, they know things are going to change. Well, Tamsin says it better change, right? She doesn't want to live in this house forever. She wants to, it's a, short-term solution to get where they want to go. And um, yeah. knowing to be flexible, building that into your plan is is huge. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for the show, uh, big thanks, Joseph. If you want to be like him, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And uh, you too can hear OG eloquently answer your question. So eloquently. And on that note... If you would like OG and his team to eloquently answer your financial planning concerns, that was another, that that was just horrible. Yeah. That was okay. That was okay. okay. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG because the doors are open. He and his team are taking new clients and uh, that will lead you to their calendar to talk to them more about how you could work with them. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug. Oh boy. Doug, you've got it from here. Your Highness. (laughs) What should we have learned today? Surely, Joseph, I shall share with our subjects the learnings they should have made for the day. First, take some advice from JT and Tamsin. Things not going the way you want? Think about the big rocks first, like, where do I live? Can I change some of my big expenses for the better? Second, are you eligible for Medicare? Open enrollment only has a short time left, and even if you aren't Medicare age yet... What's your plan for retirement health care? That's such a big expense, you're going to want to start early. But the big takeaway? So much for being king. Turns out it isn't even Western Monarchy Day. Yesterday was uh, Monarch Butterfly Day. 
We all know it doesn't make sense trying to overthrow the queen anyways. Joe's mom can keep her crown and I can stop cleaning bathrooms. I really don't want to claim my throne and I get the joke now. Not that funny, ma. Throne. Bathroom. Ha ha. LOLs. Special thanks to JT and Tamsin for stopping by the basement. If you'd like to reach out to JT, you'll find him in the basement Facebook group. And special thanks to Joe's mom for agreeing to stop calling the toilet brush my scepter. Joke's over, people. Happy Butterfly Day. Nothing to see here. Move along. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it appears I've fallen and I can't get up. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. You know, it's funny, JT and Tamsin talking about baby duties just reminds us of, in some ways, really in my life, the good old days. Like I just remember being up at night so Cheryl could sleep like JT and Tamsin were talking about and you had similar stuff. Yeah, same thing. I I have very distinct memories and even my brother will tell you where when the kids were younger, I put the monitor, there's one spot in the basement where it would like get the reception. Yep. So I'd have the monitor, I'd crank it all the way up. I'd have my Xbox on, you know, yep. playing in my movie room. And there was one time where I was like, the babies are sleeping long or whoever it was, <laughs> right? Whichever. And I like look over and the, the monitor's like falling on the couch. And I'm like, uh-oh. And I go pick it up, it's not plugged in. And I'm like, oh boy. I'm like, hold on. And I plug it in. As soon as I plug it, it goes, what? what? I'm like, dude, I got to go. Like, <laughs> like, you know, because it's like two in the morning, whichever kid it was just sopping oh wet from crying God. for God knows how long oh they've been awake. God. I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Shh, 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 shh. Yeah. You know, yeah. I finally get him calmed down. I'm like, hey, Liz, it's time to feed the baby. You know, I stayed up. I kind of rocked him a little bit. She's like, okay. I would either stay up late. We had a computer in, in our little apartment. We had a computer next to the dining room table and I would just sit and play that at night. Or if I found if formula one was in Europe, I would get up at like three 30 in the morning and watch formula one waiting for them. Cause they would reliably between like midnight and three, they would, they would stay asleep. So I would do one or the other. 
It was yeah. It was pretty pretty fantastic. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.